0: What's going on guys? Welcome back to the Move Local podcast brought to you by The Movement. My name is Dalton and alongside me today is my co-host Donald. How are we doing, Don?
1: Yeah, wonderful. It's uh, it's great great to be here with another awesome guest. I'm excited to yeah. get into it today.
0: Yeah, we missed you on the last one. So our last recording that went out was with Leaf. You were not present mm-hmm. for that. We got to try some cereal, which was good, so I oh. missed out on the fun.
1: I did, and I haven't listened to that one yet, either. I
0: know. And uh, But Will's not with us today, so you get the special the special treatment on this episode, just you and I. <laughs> um, we have a, another guest today. So on the podcast today, we have Kathleen Hilchey. She's a mom. She's a, a conflict coach, I would say, um, to sum it up. She works with kids. She works with women, um, both in the school and privately, in people's homes. Um, Kathleen, we're excited to have you on the show today.
2: Yeah, so happy to be here.
0: Yeah, how's your day going so far?
2: Yeah, uh, excellent, excellent. I chatted with two clients that were just so fun to be with, so um, so yeah, it's been wonderful so far. Yeah.
0: I love how you came prepared, like this makes me super happy. Like you got your planner, you got your, your, your notes, it's like you're ready to go.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of how I roll, it's yeah. like prepared and researched. Okay.
0: So yeah. my first question for you then is like how would you describe yourself? Like what are some words that maybe you would use?
2: So probably like the most dominant is like empathic, probably too much so mm. at times. Um and as I just said I'm also like quite analytical. So I speak and talk about a bunch of stuff but it needs to be well researched for me to like feel comfortable to allow other people to kind of go down those paths. Uh, I'm pretty driven. You said I'm, I'm a mom of three, which I know is an equality, but it is all encompassing (laughs) at the moment. So, uh, so it feels very dominant. Um, I'm a person that needs to move and I need to be outside kind of in nature. So for me to feel good there, that has to exist in my life. Um, and probably like most importantly to my work, um is I'm a recovering what I call a recovering people pleaser so easily I can get pulled into to living what other people need instead of what I need which is a lot of why I'm doing the work that I'm doing
0: yeah and I wanted to dive into that because that was something that caught my eye Mm -hmm. like I could tell that that was a big part of who you maybe I'll say used to be and like have transformed out of, but a big part of your life, like going through your Instagram and reading some of your posts and and stuff. Could you maybe elaborate on what you mean by that? And does that relate to your, your empathy? Like your over empathetic self.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm sure there's some empaths listening right now. And one of the challenges of being an empath is that you have the capacity to like feel what everyone else is feeling. And so when you're there, it's very hard to remember what you want or what you even need. Because let's say the person in front of you is super sad. Well, you're not going to go for the run because you you are feeling the sadness that they are feeling. So, I mean, people pleasing also is like a coping strategy that a lot of women are taught. Um, And so it was easy to go there, right? Nobody was saying like, no, consider your needs. No, you should be doing these things. Um, And so, you know, as you can imagine, if you like spend your life living for other people, you get burnt out and you get resentful and you get tired. And in that space, you're like, okay, I gotta change because this isn't going very well for me.
0: What What are some ways you did that? Because I know you mentioned how you need to like change yourself or work on yourself before you're able to help other people. And I'm assuming a lot of what you do now is helping other people. So how? What are some things that you did yourself to help along with that that trouble you're having?
2: Uh, so I mean, first, other people pointed it out to me. Like I didn't even realize I was doing it. Um, and so got strategies from like I remember a, a teacher in high school. I was um, I went to a boarding school and I was head of my dorm. And there were a bunch of girls in the dorm who were really struggling. And I was giving up of myself constantly to help. You know, one girl who had an eating disorder, another girl who's feeling quite depressed. And he this teacher was like, you can't like, you're not, I was losing a ton of weight. I was like quite emotional. And so he was kind of the first person to say like, I see what you're doing and here are some strategies. Um, and I know now, you know, over the years, I've always been in helping professions. I worked in camping and outdoor ed and recreation and then teaching, um, I've had to check myself. So the question I asked myself, but I also asked my clients, Like what is the thing that shifts your mood 24 to 48 hours? And people easily can give an answer, right? It's not like I sit on Netflix and keep pressing next episode or like I have three beers because that's not a 24 hour mood shifter. That's like an in the moment. And so people can easily say like, you know, I go into nature, I had a client say the other day, like when I'm painting, that shifts my mood for a day. And for me, it's like sleep, running, And nature and so when I'm shifting and I notice myself people-pleasing that's what I end up going back to because those are the things that are my my constant mood shifters
1: it's um it's interesting like you you have three kids so I'm sure you you look at your children and you're looking for the at those different characteristics how far back like going going back like you said um, when you were in school um, but how far back do, does that sort of, do those qualities go? Like when you think back or talk to your family, is it like is it like ingrained, like born?
2: Yeah, well, you're born empathic. So we're all born with different levels of empathy. And so I have always had the capacity to like, be in the moment with someone and feel what they feel. And I think add on to that, the fact that we don't teach girls and, and young women to look out for themselves first, mm-hmm. and because we don't also couple that with the, like that tool, then it's very. It was very easy for me to go into a pleasing role. So I can I you know if I think back on my childhood, probably most often I wasn't asking for what I wanted.
1: How do you um, how do you think we uh, how do you think we facilitate that sort of development in young women and girls? To, to recognize the need to please themselves first and foremost, or Yeah, for So
2: I mean when, as you know, one of I, I have a daughter and she's two and a half, and she also has two brothers. And so it's it's very boys are taught to look out for themselves first. They are taught to go for the run or like say no loudly, and we honor those voices. So you know, for people who have really little kids, making sure you really honor the girl's voice as much as you're honoring the boys. And you know, it's hard because we as parents are all socialized to like listen to the loud boy more than the loud girl. So when my daughter, who's also empathic, right? I see a lot of myself in her. And when she says something firmly, I always affirm it. I'm always like, good for you. That was such a good, strong voice. Like the boys need to listen to you. Um, She's starting to do some toddler pushback. We had like a really easy two and she's moving into three and like we're seeing some serious three-nager. And as hard as it is, I'm also relieved. So for parents who've got girls, like not squashing their voices or like understanding that they shouldn't be polite and quiet or gentle and sweet all the time, they also need to be bold and strong and have very, definite opinions and often when our kids have definite opinions it's hard for us so we kind of squash it so you've got to take that deep breath and be like okay this is a good thing (laughs) and like allow that to flow or like find out more of why they're feeling that way and for listeners who have older kids like it might be beyond that point and you're noticing like yeah my daughter's not really sharing her opinion and probably Number one key is if mom, if there is a mom, like mom starts to share her opinion, she shows what it is. So I've got um, a way of thinking about the voice that I think is most productive. It's, It's your strong and kind voice. So it should be strong and boundary, but it should also have a kindness and a softness. And so I talk about this with my boys too, because sometimes they can be overly strong and not necessarily as kind. Where my daughter can be really kind but not necessarily as strong. And so I have to make sure that I'm modeling that. Um, But sitting down with your girls, especially if you've got girls who are like preteen and teenager, and there are a couple things to think about. One is like helping them foster, like figuring out what they even want. Because a lot of girls, if you're a pleaser, you don't even know what you want because you're just doing what everyone else wants. And then the second is, finding their authentic strong and kind. It's not going to sound the same everywhere, but working with them and like you workshop it, brainstorm a a bunch of different ways they could say something that sounds both strong and also kind. And then you practice it and you affirm it and you praise it.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like it's a lot about, about the parenting. Right. Um, And what about, what do you think about in, in this, in this school sort of scenario is like, that, kids spend a lot of time in school right and so how they're sort of managed in the school system I would think plays a big role in that sort in developing that sort of that voice as well right
2: Mm-hmm. yeah and and we know from research that in the school system boys talk typically more often for longer periods and that teachers give them more attention and like I'm sure I did that too right we are programmed to like foster the boy's voice and not so much the girls and so I think keeping in check as teachers or principals like your bias like when a girl has a strong voice like what are you how are you judging her are you trying to get her to be a little quieter a little more polite or a little bit kinder instead of affirming the strength that she has in that moment so again it's just like you checking your own stuff and then trying to make sure that you're not putting it on young people right a school system is set up it's punitive There isn't always dialogue. So like allowing that conversation to flow, let's say, you know, I've had situations where let's say, you know, someone in class has said something that's just like, I say it's like an out of brain comment. They didn't mean to say it. And if they really thought about it, they would want to take it back. And I try so hard not to silence the students when they say something back. But what I do is I try to check like, okay, this isn't sounding very kind. Bring some more kindness into your voice or okay that that was a really good comment but you need to try to make it a little bit stronger so that you are more definite in your statement
0: and is that i know you've talked about it before like just reading through some of your stuff is that like putting it on the child like putting it on them to figure out or take responsibility for like realizing what they're saying or doing like having them come to the decision themselves as a Or thinking about them, thinking about it themselves instead of you telling them what to actually do.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in my bullying work. So in my bullying work, I basically flip the problem solving method on its head. Mm. So typically an adult swoops in and, and punishes. And what I do instead is I help the person who's being targeted to find their strong and kind voice and decision-make from there. So they actually drive the whole decision-making process. And then that filters into like, it can filter into everything. And all we're doing by doing that is saying to a kid, like I honor your voice and I wanna know what you think should happen. But if we're always swooping in and telling kids what to say or how to say it, they usually A, don't take our suggestions, so they don't do it. But B, they never have the capacity to find their strong and kind because everyone sounds different, right? Like I took an assertiveness course and the, the leader said, no is a complete sentence. So this is something that is said often to women, but that's totally uncomfortable for me, right? If someone says like, do you wanna go for a drink? And I just say, no, like that, I can't, I I just can't do it. So that's her version of assertiveness, where for mine, I would need a bit of an explanation so I wasn't leaving the person hanging, but that's not everyone's thing. The person that says no is a complete sentence, like that works for her. And so she's gonna attract people where like that makes sense. And so she's gonna have great friendships. Where I'm going to have friendships, probably where the other person also explains why they're not going to come for a drink, and so everyone can feel better. So, that that authenticity, like exploring, and you know, that's why when I do work with people, I work with the parents to find their authentic, strong kind, and the kids, and then that strong kind can change depending on the situation too. And then you have this voice that you can kind of bring anywhere to any situation, and and not lose yourself. Yeah but also not force, not force someone to be silenced either.
0: Yeah. It's always individual, right? Like everyone's going to have a little bit of a different way. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you teach a lot of principles on how they can think about things to then find their own way of doing it within the principles that, you know, is a good way of having them approach it. Um, is that like lead into your new course, like that you've just launched? in terms of, I know it's working with women and not necessarily children, but does it align a lot with that? Like finding your own voice, finding your strong voice, like that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, so the, I've got a new course. It's called um, Find Your Voice, Find Your Power. And it's for women or anyone who considers themselves a woman um, and helps them do kind of three things. Number one is like explore their socialization. So like, where did I come from? Why am I acting this way that's not working? So you can just like get what's going on in your past the second part is to figure out what do i even want um because a lot of women again don't know what they want i know like, i moved into an apartment on my own at 27 and i had gone from like home to boarding school to university to camping full time so it was like always with people and when i got to this apartment i thought like i don't even know what i actually want for dinner <laughs> i like Okay, I'm alone tonight. Like what movie do I want? What colors do I want? It was like astounding to me how little I had developed. So, and I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone in this. And so part of the course is helping for some women figure out like, what is the thing that I actually want? Or like, I'm going in this path, but I'm not happy. What do I even desire? And then the third part is totally intertwined with my bullying work. It's a coaching process that helps people find that strong and kind voice. It's a process that I uh, called the third way and helps someone kind of like tease out what is their voice, what isn't their voice, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. So that ultimately they find themselves because are strong and kind. So think about it this way. When you feel strong to like have boundaries and you also feel kind and compassionate to the people around you, you are being your true self. And so this, it's a conflict management strategy that like helps somebody find themselves and then find a solution from there. And what I have found is like, when we find our true strong and kind, we can solve anything, right? We can solve bullying problems that no one else can solve. People, I've worked with people who've been bullied since kindergarten through adulthood. They find their strong and kind and it's, it's completely over. So similarly with women, I've been working with women more recently since COVID and like the shifts that they can make in their lives are incredible, and they're not dramatic because they they do take into consideration everyone, but also themselves.
0: ahead.
1: I was just gonna gonna ask you. You said since since COVID, so um, I just how has that changed like the demographic of people that that you're seeing? Like it sounds like it has. Is oh, it is it? Yeah.
2: The ladies are mad. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you guys have seen, there's like tons of stuff being written right now about women really not being okay with the division of labor in their families. So COVID started in China and there were like mass divorces going on. And the hot, like one of the top ranking statements of why women were getting divorced was like they didn't actually like living in the home with their partner. Their partner wasn't helping out enough. And... Personally for me, when COVID hit, my husband and I have had quite an equitable marriage, but it has, it's taken some work to get there. Like it was not easy. And I came in with like a very strong feminist viewpoint. And he came from a family where like the chores were divided, very gender normative. And so it's been a bit of a, you know, it's been some work to get there, but COVID hit and we both panicked and we just went back to our gender divides. And For him, his business, he's a speaker, his business like tanked because nobody was hiring speakers and he panicked. And in his man brain, it was like, I need to provide for my family. So I am going to obsessively try to fix this business. And I was like, oh my gosh, my babies, everyone might get sick. I'm going to stay home and like do the cleaning of the groceries and make sure everyone is safe and get online and get the, you know, all of the women dominated rules. But I also was the only breadwinner. My businesses were actually continuing where his weren't. And so, you know, very quickly I hit the wall. And uh, so it took about three weeks for me to get there. But as I'm pleasing through this moment, I'm seething and I'm resentful and I'm like not happy. And I'm irritated that he's spending all this time doing the work when I'm flailing. And... I was cycling from like being too strong and then going to too kind and too strong and too kind so there was like moments of me having outbursts and then moments of me swallowing and trying to be the pleasant little homemaker and one day i had an outburst in front of his mom (laughs) i was pretty ashamed about it so i like went to my bed and i'm lying in bed just reeling and so embarrassed and it occurred to me like oh I teach all these people to be strong and kind and they get out of all of these complex situations, like why am I not using it? And so I called a friend who I trained in the process and so I found my strong and kind in my marriage and it was like revolutionary. Like I couldn't believe how quickly we shifted out of certain things and, and how deeply we were able to solve problems. There were things that like we didn't know existed on our marriage that we were able to actually solve. Because in my moment of strong where I should have been, I should have been boundaryed. I was able to also see the struggles that my husband was going through. And there, I could actually problem solve. There, there could be flow of communication.
0: Could you just touch on the like, finding your strong kind and what that looks like and how that helps like people solve the problems that you're talking about? Like Whether it's an example you have from like your workshop or an example personally or whatever, just so people can maybe understand a little bit about what you mean. More deeply, when you say like finding your strong kind and how that helps.
2: Yeah, sure. So I um, when I'm working with a client, we'll t- we'll pick a specific situation. Um, so I'm just gonna try to think of one. Okay, so I had a, a client recently who's from the states, and there was a coworker that was just demeaning her all the time, and she was saying this specific comment of like, "Well, you wouldn't understand." you're not married and sometimes it didn't even connect but the the woman wasn't married so kind of like twinged on her she was feeling uncomfortable and a bit of shame that she wasn't married and so then that comment just like kind of stuck with her and so we looked at the power dynamics first to see like yeah this woman is really trying to be too strong and then you're being too kind And what we want to do is like level things off so you're you're being both strong and kind and then we just brainstormed. So I would say to her, like, well, you wouldn't know you're not married. And then she'd say a comeback. And mm-hmm. I just had a computer and you can do this on your own. You just like write, you brain dump everything. And like, make sure when you're doing it, you write all the really mean, awful things that you wanted to say or do like drop kick her, for example, <laughs> yeah, you would yeah. never do, <laughs> but you got to get it out of your head to get to that place of like calm. You've got to get out all the wrong answers. So you just write until you can't write anymore every single thing you can think of. And it doesn't have to be something to someone's face. It could be like, well, the solution is to tell the boss that these kinds of comments are inappropriate, right? It can be an indirect strong and kind also. And then you go through and you eliminate everything that's only strong or only kind. And then you're stuck with like, you know, you've got like five or 10 really good ones. And then you pick the one that feels the best. So you might think things like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to say this statement or, um, oh, that feels good. Or like, that feels like me. When I'm doing it with clients, I watch them. So you can watch yourself like sitting up taller or a little smile on your face. or Your shoulders might go down. That is your authentic, strong and kind. And then you practice it because it's not going to feel natural. And you like workshop it with your partner or whatever. Um, This woman came up with saying the statement you know what, you're right, I'm not married, but I will be one day. And that just felt so good for her to say it. She said it once to this woman, and it ended. Hmm.
0: Yeah. No, I like the, I think it's great because I think there's always a balance, right? Like you need to be have some strong, you need to have some kind, and I think a lot of people either teeter on one end or the other that could be good, like good or bad, right? So for me personally, I've I would struggle with things like, kind of people pleasing in a way like very nice like I've always been someone who's been really nice and kind of did everything for everyone not really necessarily Mm -hmm. thinking about myself and what's important to me right and I think a lot of the stuff that you're touching on reminds me of some of those things that I dealt with that then like you know being strong I guess is a way of thinking about it or of like setting those boundaries and be like no like I'm not going to do that right now because I have this or like putting your priorities first so that's resonating with me in the sense of like Making sure that it doesn't swing too far to either end of the spectrum and finding that middle ground and how you approach that situation.
2: Yeah, and and I I think that's key. The other key too is like some situations warrant a little more strong. Mm. And some situations warrant a little more kind. I had a woman recently at a grocery store who I stopped to hand sanitize and she yelled from like three people back, like, You look fine. And I got so confused because I was, like, hand sanitizing. And I looked back and she was like, yeah, honey, I'm talking to you. You look fine. And I looked over and there was, like, a glass that looked like a mirror. And I guess she thought that I was checking myself out or something. I'm, like, in jogging pants and a a sweater. Like, I'm not dressed up for the grocery store. Right. But this woman is the kind of person that would probably end up having a screaming match with someone. I said to her, like, I'm just hand sanitizing. And she said, whatever. And I said, you know what, we're all struggling right now and it's not fair that you speak to me this way. And she walked away and put her hand up and did a little like duck face to me, like a little rah, rah, I stop talking. But I, I felt good because I said what I needed to say but I also felt for her, right? But it was stronger than I might've used with one of my children, for example. Mm. I knew it worked because she was the kind of person that would have circled back and had a big verbal match, screaming match with me. But she didn't. She walked away. Right? So know too that like, especially if you're prone to pleasing, there might be some times where you have to lean into a strong that makes you feel a little bit rude, even though you're being kind. Yeah.
0: No, it's a good point, And I think it's hard. I think people think this is just so na- it's like a natural thing oh, yeah, right now and, <laughs> it's and it's not at all and no. I think that once people I think as humans in general once we start to have I mean a little more empathy for other humans and realize that like hey this stuff is hard and it doesn't come natural and it does take work and you need to think about yourself like you're not the only person that struggles with this thing it like it can make you feel I don't know a little bit better and hopeful that you can learn the skills to be firm when you need to be firm but also be kind when you need to be kind mm-hmm.
2: yeah and I feel like I, I, ta- I had the pleasure of teaching a grade nine course that would teach a lot of these tools and when it, when the grade eight parents came to do, do a tour and I would explain the course almost every parent would say like I need this class I'm like <laughs> yeah. yeah because as humans we're not yeah. we're not taught conflict management very well And maybe we teach some at school, but like bullying is rampant at school. So we're hearing our teachers say one thing and then we're experiencing something else in the schoolyard and then we go home and if our parents are tired or they don't know any better, then they're punitive and we're being silenced. So all, we need to untangle this stuff. It's like,
0: and there's a, there's a lot to it. Totally. Totally. But just listening, like listening to the way that you are approaching it, like i I, 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 love it. Like, I think it speaks, we, we try to find a lot of parallels between the stuff that we do, but there's a lot of things that I hear about, like, especially in your three, what is it called? The three ways or the three, the third way, the third way. Like, I want to dive into that. Cause there's like listening is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And like, was empathy another part of that?
2: Yeah. In the, yeah. Listening and empathizing. Yeah.
0: Like dive into that. Cause I think that's an important like thing for people to think okay.
2: about. So, so this is the coaching process that I use. When someone has been bullied. Um, And I called it the third way because typically, when someone gets bullied, one response is to be violent, so the person fights back. The second response is to be silent, right? We tell kids, walk away and just ignore it. And in fact, those two responses elicit more bullying, unfortunately. But I have found this third way, which I call being, you know, powering with someone or using your strong and kind, which is like a zone where you have the capacity to speak but also listen. And this is where like compromise happens and you feel quite calm. So that's like the ultimate goal of the third way is to help people find their strong and kind, but to get there. And so if you're a parent or maybe you're a spouse of someone who's being bullied, the three steps that you can follow. So step one is just to listen to the person, like not problem solve, not speak. You are being present you're being empathic when they say a feeling you can just say the feeling back when they say something to you instead of jumping into problem-solving mode you can just say what they said to you like oh yeah and like then bob said well what did you do this weekend like that must have felt really hard to you so you, you a lot of people who are bullied feel intense shame but when they tell their full story the problem seems now solvable so the biggest thing anyone can do is just empathic listening so that to me is step one we like get the whole story out if you have questions you ask questions but you don't problem solve step two is to empower and in that process i try to explain power dynamics so that the person who's being bullied doesn't see that it's their fault they're just responding in fear because this is a scary situation and once they see that it's not their fault they can move to problem solving, which is step three. And that's that finding the strong and kind and allowing them to problem solve and you to support. So the key to me in that scenario, if you are a parent who's got a kid who's being bullied, number one, you wanna make sure that whatever solution they pick is safe and that they are safe in that situation. If they're not safe, you either change it so that they are. So I had two girls once who had been best friends and then one was threatening the other to fight her or kill her. And the girl who was being bullied said, I just want to sit down and talk to her, but I don't want an adult there. And I was like, absolutely not. (laughs)
0: Like, you (laughs) will have
2: an adult there. And so what we concluded was like, I would be in the room doing my marking and they would have a conversation on the other side. And the conversation went beautifully. I had tears in my eyes. They decided not to be friends, but that they would be respectful. And there were lots of apologizing and whatever. So like her solution was right, but the, the environment was not safe. So similarly, you wanna make sure that your, your child or your partner doesn't feel like they want to harm themselves. So that's also a part of safety. So asking those suicide questions if you have a feeling about it. The second thing is the solution must sound both strong and kind. If it sounds too strong, it's not gonna work. If it sounds too kind, it's not gonna work. So it's finding that like sweet spot in the middle it might sound super weird. When I work with really little kids, they come up with like the oddest solutions. Um, I had a little boy recently who's super funny, and so his superpower, his strong and kind, is going to include humor. And this boy would like chase him all over and say like, "I'm going to put you in a hole," and the little three-year-old was terrified. And what he what he did is he turned around and he took his little finger out and did a little circle and said, "Abracadabra, you are a frog." <laughs> And then the other little boy started laughing and it diffused the power dynamic. Hmm. And so then the bullying ended. So it's finding that sweet spot, but also respecting that your child or your partner might have come up with something you don't think is going to work. That was like, That's like the majority of my work. I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. And then it always works. Hmm.
1: I, it's really interesting, what, like those stories that you're telling. It It, it seems as though <clears throat> by helping the bullied sort of find that strong and kind I I'm curious if you find that that changes the bully Mm -hmm. as well because it it I was gonna ask you a question that I had for you was like you know how do you work with a bully Mm -hmm. but it almost sounds like you you get to the bully via the bullied um, because of that this how this process works
2: yeah and we need to remember too that there is a common kid that gets bullied who is deeply kind And so they don't shoot back because they don't want to be rude. They know the bully is hurting, so they don't want to say anything. And so unfortunately, some of our kindest, most compassionate kids end up victimized in bullying situations. And so that super kind kid, when they come up with a solution, typically includes helping the kid who was bullying. So I had a, a girl last year, and there was this one girl in her class who had created like a systemic bullying situation. The whole class was in on it bullying this girl but she was so wise and she said like I know she's hurting can we get this grade two teacher to come and talk to her because I think she'll share her feelings I know there's pain and then the second solution she came up with was can she paint a mural she's such a good artist and she doesn't even know it I think that would make her feel better about herself and it would be able to be a space where she could channel her emotions <laughs> this girl was 10 crazy. and wow. came up with this situation. Yeah. So. Yes, that is one way that that we help kids who are bullying is that this kid they're hurting, like helps heal them in some ways or teaches them a lesson. Like, it's not funny when you say these things, I am hurt and they're talking face-to-face and they can see the pain. The other way, I have a a program that I developed called sensitivity training. And uh, when I worked in schools, I would do it once a month and all the kids who were acting aggressively would come to this program and there was one main session and then they could always come back if you know some behaviors continued and um the program did a similar thing so step one was like learning why are we aggressive what's the primal need for us to be mad and do manipulative things like why are we protecting ourselves step two was to kind of open their eyes up to the pain they might be creating by by doing some case studies, um, empathy building exercises. I tell a story of a friend of mine who got bullied and then we explore like how might he have felt two years later and two years after that and and when he's an adult. Um, And and a lot of these kids don't know that this pain lasts through life if it's unchecked. They don't understand, sometimes they're lacking problem solving skills and so all they know are these mean ways of solving problems and it doesn't occur to them, oh my gosh, I might be causing long-term damage to someone most often the kids i got in sense, or the teens i got in sensitivity training had also been bullied so there was a shame in them and all they know is like if you're loud and mean you're not targeted and so then they just got loud and mean they went from the kind quiet kid to the loud mean kid and then that last step is helping them find their strong and kind so figuring out for them like what are their feelings about it so giving them a chance to Explore what they are thinking and feeling and then problem solving. So, you know, when I work with teens and, and adults and children who are being targeted, I will take their solution most often. When when people are bullying, because they're more prone to going towards revenge solutions, we work together to find a solution that's strong and kind. So I don't I don't give them as much control. Um, but I found a sensitivity training, like we had one circumstance in eight years in the school where a bullying situation continued. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, it cut the cycle because all these teens were they didn't want to be like this. They wanted their lives to be significantly better. And as soon as they either had an insight or a tool, they just use them mm-hmm. and stop this behavior. So some would come back and we'd give them another tool or another insight. But most often VPs and also um, our guidance counselors would say like, yeah, they're not really coming here. This is great. So it's that perspective of like, we just need to learn. Like life is hard. We're not teaching conflict management skills. And when we do, people typically use them.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's so important. And it's so I'm glad that like it's starting with younger kids because there's a lot of things that I wish I would have learned, you know, that I'm learning now as an older adult that – are super helpful like when you talk about you know the listening without providing a solution you know that's a big thing that I struggled with and always trying to provide solutions but there's power to just listening right and like the empathy side of things like Mm -hmm. being empathetic and then then the third stage is problem solving which at that point it seems like it's more you have better ability to solve that problem when you've gone through the other two steps. Yeah. And you're you calmer, know? right? Like right. your brain is calmer, and it's more, so you
2: can think clear. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Like those are things that you don't really learn. Right. Yeah. And then, until you struggle maybe and have some problems. Right. But it's cool. I, I'm glad that you're doing that with such young people and women as well. Cause it's obviously an important thing. Um, question. Like, what do you hope comes of all of this? Like what would be like an ideal scenario at the end, when it's all said and done, you've done all your
2: teaching, you've worked with all these people, like, what do you hope is the outcome? So, like, my life goal is to change the way people respond to bullying internationally. I feel like there needs to be music behind me. Yeah, amazing. you respond with discipline. And it doesn't work. It's, like, so frustrating to me and to all these students when I ask them, like, Do you think someone should get suspended? Everyone's like, don't do it because it exacerbates the situation. If we, and then, you know, similarly with women, like if they changed the way that they allowed themselves to problem solve, not leaning into what other people want, but really looking at themselves. And that's what this bullying work is. Like think how different our marriages would be, our workplaces would be, our parenting would be everything would just be healthier. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's so important to start, start with the kids, right? Mm -hmm. It's the the easiest point to hit it. Right. And it's a matter of how do you broadly disseminate this across school systems? You know?
2: Yeah. Um, I'm on it. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) I'm on it. And I think women too, like women right now are looking for a different way. Mm -hmm. Women are overworked and they're tired and they don't feel good. And so there are, you know, if you look at like Glennon Doyle's book, I don't know if you guys have been in touch with it. It's like the, this incredible bestseller and her, the, the root of the book is like, listen to yourself. You know what you need and now you need to go for it. You need mm-hmm. to ask for it. But, but because we haven't been taught that, there's a lot of discord for women. And I think coronavirus has kind of exposed that for a lot of people. Um, and so then this is the time I know there's like lots of women clamoring for extra help. Like, how do I problem solve this? I tried and I'm not successful. Yeah. Um, couple rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Okay. Um, what's your favorite local
0: restaurant around Hamilton Dundas?
2: Um, I really love little Asia right now. Oh my gosh. There's spicy tofu. I could eat it all day, every day. Yeah.
0: It's
1: good.
2: It's you good, good
1: Dalton.
0: i close by.
2: Okay. All right. <laughs> um, favorite,
0: like, activity to do with, like, your family on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon?
2: So my kids are five, and the twins are almost three. Uh, and we have finally explored the greatness of the Dundas Driving Park. So you can imagine with twin toddlers who don't listen and don't return when you ask for them, the Dundas driving I park would I see them wheeling be... around
0: here all the time on their scooters.
2: Yeah, they're fast, right? Hey? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, like, it, it is a terrifying place to be. So the Matilda Park was, like, perfect because it's gated in. Or Central School on the weekend is gated in. But now we can go to the driving park and, like, it's heaven. Yeah. For all of us. Great. Yeah. Um, what is like one of
0: like maybe your favorite or most influential books that you've read recently?
2: Oh goodness, I'm reading a lot of like junky fiction right now. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could be uh, I would say so. the The most influential book probably in my life um, is a a book called um, The Curse of the Good Girl written by a woman named Rachel Simmons. And I took it out because I had started reading, teaching a grade, this grade nine course, and it was mostly girls taking it. It's about conflict management. I was listening to it on CD as I was driving to and from Brantford. And after one drive, so 30 minutes of the CD, I arrive at school and I, just like tears are streaming down my face. I'm like weeping. I'm like, I don't do any of these things. Like she's trying to teach these girls to speak up and I'm a woman and I'm not doing it. So. Uh, it's like the book I recommend the most to all my clients, even if it's a mom with boys. I'll tell the mom just to read it for herself because it's a it was a, such a game changer for me. Cool. Um,
0: who's one other person you think we should talk to like on this podcast? No, oh,
2: my goodness, there's so many people. Denna, isn't Dundas? It's like everywhere I turn, someone else is like amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um. Do you know, there's a couple in town, Roshne and Brian Bates. Roshne is a a Reiki practitioner and she works actually just around the corner from you guys. And she is a wealth of life knowledge. So she would be amazing to talk to. And her husband, Brian, um, has worked at McMaster but has worked a lot in engineering but a lot of focus on like environmental and social change. Uh, And they're like lovely people to, I think they'd be great to chat with.
0: And then last question. What does uh, moving local mean to you?
2: Yeah. So you had sent me that question and I had a lot of thoughts. Uh, To me, it's like, maybe because it's on my mind, it feels like health during coronavirus. Like we can't go far, right? We often go on these trips to like explore, but we have so much here that we can explore and do. And it also feels there's like a community feel right it's like we can be around people even if we can't be close in this space that's like so beautiful we're so lucky but we also should be moving and there are a lot of people who aren't moving and if we're not moving we're not healthy in our bodies but also in our minds yeah
0: it's great well, thanks for taking the time to come on and chat with us. I think it was a, a great conversation. I think the work that you're doing is amazing. I think it's needed for, for everyone, but, you know, more specifically, the, the children you're working with and the women that you're working with. So so thanks for your time. And if uh, you want to leave where you can find or where people can find more about, like, your content and your information, like, you can let them know.
2: Great, great. So I have a, a website, just my name, Kathleen, with a K, Hilchey, H-I-L-C-H-E-Y.com. Um, and then I've got a couple of handles. So at Bullying is one. But if you're interested in the women's work, it's ca- at Voice, One word. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll link all that up in like the show notes so people can click and Great. all
0: that if they didn't catch it all super fast. But yeah, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it.
2: Oh, thanks. Thanks so
0: much for having
1: me. Yeah, it was lovely. Thank you.